as well at Broadcast Pirate Services. Chris Perry is the publisher of Equity Dog Guru, uh, my friend and associate, my colleague and my partner in crime when it comes to uh, trying to make markets accessible to everyone. And Chris, as we jump into this, for people who watch First Glance with Jody Vance, they know I usually begin with the preamble of wanting to make investing accessible to more than just the expensive suit in the pocket square, which right. there's nothing wrong with an expensive suit in the sure. pocket square but they're not a prerequisite to investing and doing well with They've your investments. They've got enough content out there. They've got their own TV channels, the guys yes. with the bow ties and suspenders. They don't, they don't need this. I don't, I don't have those things. Yeah. But I do have you. And when you asked me to come on board initially, which was quite some time ago, it was talking about really uh, connecting with women in right. particular. And then it's expanded beyond that. It's Black and Indigenous people of color, uh, millennials, like those who feel as though the investment world is not available to them when in fact it is. And I love that about you. So I just wanted people that are tuning into First Glance to know this is going to be a different conversation because yep. you're Chris Perry and you scare some people. I love that. Let's talk about <laughs> how we met. Do you want to set the stage yeah, here? Yeah, well, okay. Well, uh, I think I yelled at you on Twitter because you'd said something about when when I was younger, I, I scrimped and saved for deposit on my place. And I don't see why other people can't do the same thing. And I was like, ah, elitist, not everybody has that opportunity now. And, and, and we arm wrestled, I think, for a couple of hours. Yeah, because I said, hey, I'm just telling you what I did. But I didn't realize yeah. that I was in that cliche of what so many people were saying was, your problem is avocado toast. I did not have a problem with avocado <laughs> toast. I'm like, I have served a lot of avocado, avocado toast. Avocado toast is good. <laughs> it's delicious. It's Are really you kidding good. me? It's spendy if you buy it, you know, at the restaurant. But I've served a lot of it, you know. Yep. And we we served up to one another great opinions and perspectives and then fought about it and then found such cool middle ground that we've been friends ever since. Yeah, man. Like if I'm yelling at somebody and they can yell back and they can make me sort of stop and think once in a while and be like, all right, but what about this? And instead of just being like, eh, and running away, they're like. Yeah. How about you come on the radio with me is what I think I said to you. And yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm writing, I'm do, doing this blog, want to contribute. And I loved your first contribution to my blog, my backyard mm -hmm. was how women undervalue themselves and do not, cannot, refuse to ask for their actual worth. We apologize for ourselves. Yeah, women and a lot of men, to be honest. Um, the vast majority of people believe that if they ask for a raise, it's gonna be offensive. And so they never ask for one. And if you never ask for one, then you're relying on your boss to be really charitable or, or for you to be so essential that they can't not give you one. Right. Um, you know, Equity Guru, we kind of run things a little bit differently. We, we tend to, when we identify somebody's working above and beyond and really knocking it out of the park, I want that person to be rewarded and I want other people to see them being rewarded. So uh, we do that a little different, but you know, I've never worked a job in my life where I haven't asked for a raise. And the, the, the bottom line on it is if you think that your boss is going to say, no, you're not working hard enough. You're not essential enough, right? If you're there an extra hour every day and you're putting forward entrepreneurial ideas and you're spotting opportunities to do things better and, uh, and making yourself invaluable, 
when you go in and say, hey, I, I need a promotion or a raise or I'm going to go to the next guy, like your boss will be like, tell me what you need. Right. And but then it's like, what do you do when, when they say, okay, tell me what you need. You tell them. How do you do the math on that? Do you, do you, do you tell them the number that makes so, you almost not able to say it out loud? Negotiations 101 is you start from a point where they're going to say no and you work your way backwards. You know, if you're making 40K and you say, I want to make 45, you'll probably get it. And if you get it with that negotiation, you just probably knocked 5K off yourself, right? right. So, you know, you say, look, I, I respect you. I know you've got a budget. I know there's only so much room you can move, but I really need to be earning 55. And right. if I need to work more hours or do more things or, you know, what do I got to do to get there? And if they say, listen, buddy, like let's do 45 and maybe in three months we'll have another conversation. Cool. Okay. But, you know, while you're doing that and your, and your workmates aren't doing that, chances are you're taking their budget to their detriment. So you got to fight for what's yours. I love that. And I also, when I first started reading uh, Equity Dog Guru, I immediately recognized the difference that you are. I mean, I read you uh, at your prior position, at your other job in your prior life. Mm -hmm. um, and I appreciated your writing then. But there's something about how revolutionary, and I'm not saying this because I'm going to ask you for a raise because I already got it. Um, <laughs> how revolutionary <laughs> I did. How revolutionary and, it is. And you're, if you remember, you didn't take the first offer. Oh, God, no. Which is I amazing. I doubled it. Exactly because right you taught me. You taught me. <laughs> and you knew where we would land. You created anyway. a monster. <laughs> you did. But I love, in the, I'll never forget the first time I read one of your newsletters, one of your releases, one of your um, discerning POVs of a, of a company. I believe it was a cannabis stock. Okay. And there were like gifts and, and like there were memes. There was like Bugs Bunny running through one at one point. You're swearing. You're like, and I felt like I was on a journey in a conversation with you as opposed to, you know, okay, you know, where in this is the meat that I'm looking for? Instead, I was like, this is engaging. This is interesting to me. And then I returned only to find that that company that you had profiled was being profiled again, where you said, you know what? You corrected all the things that I wrote about last time. Mm -hmm. And here's why this is so cool. And I thought, who does this? This is genius. See, I no, really this dig is, that. It was one of the problems I had working at the, the Vancouver Sun was I believe as a journalist, part of your job is to correct things that are wrong right not just report on them and then let them disappear into the distance and never follow up yeah. but to say this is a thing that happened and it sucks and here's why it sucks and who it hurt and then the next day to call back and say have you fixed that yet and if you haven't i'm going to write about it again and again and again it's service journalism right as opposed to to just filling column inches alongside ads for uh, tellers the power of journalists is that if we don't let go of a story, it remains a story. And a lot of the time at newspapers, and I'm sure in broadcast journalism, the, the story was yesterday. And we're not going to follow up the court case that happens in a week because it's not a story anymore. We've already reported on that. It's old news. To yeah. me, I, I look at CNN, which had one news story all of last year. Actually, two, COVID and the president. That was yeah. it. Anything else that happened, you had to go somewhere else to find out about it because it's like, here's the thing that happened today. Now let's talk to three academics about what it means. 
who cares? Like, where did the news broadcast go, right? You don't want to necessarily be stuck with cat stuck up tree news, but there's a whole lot of stuff going on in the world. And when genocides aren't aren't enough to make CNN, like, I feel like we're, we're in a kind of a lost space where journalism isn't respected because it doesn't do anything anymore. It just announces the story that someone else is going to talk about. It's the trending topic, right? Yeah. And we don't want anyone to turn the channel because they're only interested in this high performance story that's kept, man, you got to get into the weeds on little stories. Like Mm -hmm. I did a project at the sun called the the gas town project where I'd I'd seen a, a junior reporter go up to the city editor one day and say, Hey, I was walking through Gastown and there's homeless people and there's millionaires standing side by side, living side by side. And it's weird. And I want to go and I want to talk to a whole bunch of people about how that happens. Like, what is everyone's reason for being in the place where they're at? And the city editor said, sure, do 400 words and we'll give it a spot on Saturday. I'm like, so I chased that girl down and said, no, we're going to grab a video camera. I'm going to go downtown and we're going to talk to 50 people and get their stories and we're going to take photographs and we're going to build a website that is an exploration of the entire town for the last 10 years every news publisher has been talking about hyperlocal journalism and this is hyperlocal journalism right yeah if you ask everyone about their story they all have a publishable story whether it's them or their parents or their grandparents everyone's got that story about someone in their life who did something amazing but no one ever asks so no one ever tells the story and when you, the, the reason I think podcasts are such an important thing nowadays is because that's how those stories are starting to come to air. And the news organizations have completely lost it. They've spun off into one direction of Trump, 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 and COVID, COVID, COVID. And they've forgotten that, you know, our kids aren't in school mm-hmm. and they're having trouble. And I remember one time at the Sun, uh, I, I, I found out a kid that I knew in Abbotsford had died of a, a ecstasy overdose. And I did a little research and found there was a whole bunch of kids that died over the previous couple of weeks. Normally there's one a month and there was like seven or eight in a a one week span. So I went to the the editor uh, that I was answerable to and said, there's a story here. We should call the cops and say, what's happening? Is there some bad ecstasy around? And he said, oh no, if if there was, the cops would say so. And just shooed me off. And then the next day, two more kids died. And so I went back and said, there's something happening here. And the guy was like, the cops said, there's nothing happening. So there's nothing happening. So someone at the province in the meantime saw the same thing, wrote the story on the front page, big headline, musical across town. And the cops then said, oh yeah, turns out there's a problem. You know, so when Equity Guru was just an idea, uh, my thinking was, is that public companies, they want to be seen as thought leaders. They want to be exposed to as many people as possible, but they don't know how to do it. They all work through a committee. They've got a management team that wants to just propel a nice story. And more often than not, the real story is either the origin story of the company, which is something that you're pushing on, and the problems, right? When you've got a problem and you fix it, that shows that you're tackling the things you need to tackle. nobody's perfect you know the the buddhists like to say that you know thinking that you might be perfect is ridiculous only gods are perfect and the same with public companies there's always something you're working on always something you'd rather not talk about always something that didn't quite pan out 
but the pan the, the not panning out stuff is is the good stuff right it's the you know we stuck three holes in the side of the mountain and the, the drills broke off and so here's what we did to fix it and then we did it again and we came up with dust and then we did it again and we finally like it, it, it's the the three-part story is the interesting story it's not just the you know we we hired a new cfo today and, and we're really proud of that yeah. gives a shit tell me why the last cfo was fired now it's a story and so. that's when you when you hired me to do uh first glance with jody vance um my directives from you were super simple you were like be yourself talk to people get their stories make it like you're having a coffee at the coffee shop or having a beer at the bar whatever it's not pie charts and graphs and elevator talks right yeah, yeah. and i literally use that mandate that you gave me as my setup each time because the people that I'm talking to expect to be asked about the pie charts and the yeah. market cap. And they've rehearsed and, it. Da, 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 da. and, and, the, and yeah, they, and they said, I, I just spoke with the New York Times. I just talked to the other guy and I just talked to da, 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 da. And then they get finished 15 minutes of me going, but what was it like for you? You right. know, because I want to know who you are because as an investor, and I'm learning, gleaning from these interviews, that when I say, what's your um criteria for an investment do you remember your first investment and what no. do you look for and every single one of them chris every single one of them said look for good people right none of them said look for the best most positive unicorn press release you can find and you know what that to me is the the really important part of what we do and, and how we do it is if somebody screws investors over i want to make sure they wear it Right. Yeah. I want to make sure the next company they come back with that I say that guy, that guy's a piece of shit. Right. And here's what he did to the last three companies. And and I've seen guys that again and again and again have gone through that process of four month promotions and then dumping out and then starting something new. That when we get our teeth into them and we name them and shame them and expose them for what they do, the next deal is a clean one, almost always because now they know someone's watching, right? The, the regulators aren't watching. The regulators call us up and want to know whether our disclosure agreement is up to date at the bottom of our website. But you know, if I send them uh, evidence that somebody's engaged in an illegal fraud, they don't have the time or the energy or the motivation, right? People go to retire at the BCSC. They don't go to the BCSC to start their career and show how great they are. So it's left to us to say, if all we ever do is talk nice about people, nobody believes a word we're going to say. And right. Lord knows there's millions of those types of guys out there. Yeah. But if we take money from a company and we say, okay, just before you give us that check, you guys are going to make sure you're good for your promises. And if you're not, if you miss, that's forgivable. If you try hard and it doesn't work, that's fine. But if you don't do what you say you're going to do, and we find out that you're telling us one thing and doing another, it will follow you to the next company. And this is why sometimes people, when you're about to interview them, are like, you know, there's a little sweat, like, yeah. uh, what's what's going to happen here? Because, you know, they're worried that we're going to dig through their trash. And it's interesting, Chris, that you say that, because I, I come in with such, I'm a cup half full type of person. I often introduce myself as someone who doesn't know everything about investing or markets. I, I stay up to speed on such things, but I'm far from an expert. What I am an expert on 
is interviewing and storytelling, getting the people to tell their story. Right. And I try and put them at ease. And there are a couple, one in particular, no naming names, but somebody who said, you know, I was told not to do this. Right. And I said, oh, interesting. And the explanation was, it's like, I will be picked apart. And I was like, um, you know, interesting. Who, who said that to you? Oh, you know, it was a couple of people who said that they'd had been picked apart by you. And I said, yeah, he's a bit of a disruptor, isn't he? And he goes, you know what? Good word. I'm less nervous now because I know it's, it's about the information. It's about the facts around the company. Mm -hmm. It's not personal. Mm -hmm. You remember the, the old uh, John Cusack movie, Gross Point Blank? Yeah. Where he was playing an assassin having a midlife crisis. And there's a line that I never forgot from that film. And that is, if I'm at your door, you did something to bring me there. Right. So you know, if you're running an honest company and you really believe that your business plan is up to it and your people are up to it and there's an opportunity here and people should trust you with their hard-earned money, you have a, a, a duty to them to give them every ounce of your effort and energy and expertise and contacts and energy and make sure that you do exactly what you said you were going to do. If you've got to change midstream because circumstances made it happen that way, then just be honest about it. People are okay with that. Um, but if you try and sneak it around us, I'll, I'll get like, yours no, first. No refunds, man. Like, you know, you, companies are paying for our attention, not for our favor. There are 6,000 ticker symbols that we could write about. If they want theirs to be part of the conversation, negative or positive, then that's what we do. If it turns out that, that someone involved in the deal is doing the wrong thing, but it's not the company's fault, I want the company to talk about it, right? Sometimes there's a shareholder or a director who's dumping stock and a little bit late on their declaration of it. That's not the company's fault. And I'll write about it, but I'll also give the company the opportunity to say, hey, we think it's done now, or we've talked to the guy. And it, you know, we've had those sorts of episodes before. We also had companies like uh, uh, lifestyle, lifestyle Delivery Systems back in the day. Um, which, you know, were religious about promising things happening next quarter and then the next quarter they never happened. And so every quarter we would call them up and say, listen, man, can't write nice things about you. You need to get on our stream and talk to us face to face and explain yourself. And so they would. And the CEO would stand up in front of his equipment that wasn't working for some reason. And he'd say, you know, I know we, we said we we're going to, but here's the reasons why it was out of our control. And the stock would go up 30%. And then over the next quarter, it would drop again because he'd miss everything. And then he'd do the same mere culpa and it'd be back up 30%. Yeah. So what people want is that moment of honesty and clarity where they believe you're actually telling them, look, guy, like I'm really trying here. The world's been against us, but here's our plan to get out of it. I'll invest in that guy a hundred times before I invest in the guy who says, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything's great. It's fantastic. It's not us. It's the investors. You know, I want, to, I want to see the guy with his head under the hood, scratching his noggin and saying, I don't actually know what's wrong here. Let me call in an expert yeah. rather than the guy who just keeps driving until the engine pops. Right. You know, it's, it's an adventure. It's a fun position to be in here with you as you are creating something that is a resource, in my opinion, for people to find companies who have been held to account in that way are now being seen through that lens. Yep. It, it just adds a layer of access 
to investing. There's no guarantees in investment. You know, don't gamble with money you can't afford to lose unless, you know, you're Chris Perry and you want to buy a soccer club. (laughs) That's a whole other conversation. (laughs) But that'll be in session two of this. We're going to do a series here because we're literally uh, running out of time here. We're 20 minutes too long, Chris Perry. Oh, my God. I love talk too about, much. No, you don't. I love how you talk because you're very passionate about the want to create an environment of transparency to a degree where people can at least know the risk they're taking, right? Look, especially younger investors. Like I used to, when I first started this, it was all an old man's game, right? An old white man's game, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, an investor conference keynote that I gave a couple of years ago that was titled, five of you guys are going to be dead by this time next year, so we better get some fresh blood in the room. God. <laughs> and when, when the screen came up, there was a, a mild hum. Uh, I looked over, I was like, oh my God, it's a sea of bald heads. <laughs> I'm going to have half the people leave. Uh, one person at the end was like, hey, do you know which five? Uh, <laughs> but it was, you know, it was the whole time it was spent like telling people who are mining executives who all day long are trying to find the same guys who are retired to yeah. spend their last $10,000 on them that, you know, my, my daughter's playing Minecraft right now while I'm giving this speech and she's 10. And she's mining for gold and diamonds and emeralds and, and in the most popular video game of all time. Yeah. And you guys are walking around here saying that young kids aren't interested in mining. Wake the fuck up. Like, look around. Yeah. They want to drive Teslas. They have a pocket full of minerals in their, in their phone. They know what lithium is. Because they take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all yeah. right. We got to We got to go. We got to do another one of these another day. Uh, this right. will be a series. We need it. And you got to dream up a name. Yeah, let's do it. First, first glance with Jody Vance and Chris Perry tells us the tales of equity.guru. Oh my God. There's too many. We're going to, that'll be a series upon a series, man. But I want this at least monthly promise. I'll, man, I'll do it weekly. If you want, I always like talking to you. Cool. Because I get paid every time I do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just got a raise. Way to bring it around. I know. Look at your your backdrop suddenly upgraded. I know. Someone's been to IKEA. God damn. All right. right. I'll I'll do it weekly, man. I know. We got to work on that. Let's get you some art. You can't see, but on the other side of the camera is my gigantic TV screen that I watch my football club from England on. The cardigans. The red Red cardigans. We'll talk about that in the next series. Yeah. Say goodbye, Chris. Say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. What? What?